I think if, if there's one thing I've learned from both sides of this, the corporate side and the entrepreneur side, is you've got to be able to create a, a vision. What's up, Powder Cake fans? Glad you're joining us today on episode 76 of Powder Keg Igniting Startups, the show for entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators building remarkable tech companies in communities outside of Silicon Valley. I'm your host, Matt Hunkler, and I'm really excited to introduce today's guest. He's one of those rare people who understands innovation equally well on the startup side as on the corporate side. Uh, this guy has been in the Powder Keg community for years, and this topic we're talking about today is a huge topic because there's amazing potential in corporations and startups working together, but at the same time, each learning from each other of best practices and how to actually move like a startup, or in some ways, maybe startups need to move more like corporations. We'll, we'll find out in today's episode. It's a delicate balance, and uh, luckily, we have someone on the show today who can help you better understand corporate innovation, not to mention how startups should and shouldn't work together. I'm excited to welcome to the show today a cross-functional leader who believes there's no limit to what you can achieve if you don't care who gets credit. Uh, he has strong entrepreneurial. <laughs> Absolutely, he has strong entrepreneurial drive. Uh, he has worked for and uh, with major brands such as Duracell, Rand McNally, and Deflecto. He is now a director of the Digital Accelerator, specifically in electrification, at Cummins, a global corporation. Please help me welcome to the show, Chris Gray. Thanks, Matt. Really good to have you here, man. So, but before we dive in. Break this down for me because I am in the startup world so much, working with these high growth tech companies, not working quite as much in uh, companies at the scale of Cummins, although, although we do work with a few companies like that. What is a digital accelerator for electrification? What, is, what so, does that mean? So the Cummins Digital uh, Accelerator Division is, is the division that's creating digital solutions that support the manufacturing, so the products that are made in the traditional business units. Okay. So give me an idea of what Cummins does at scale. I mean, I know because I'm in Indiana, I'm familiar with Cummins, but for those who don't know, what is Cummins? So Cummins actually for 100 years to this very month uh, has been a, a huge diesel engine manufacturer out of Columbus, Indiana, and uh, now offices here in Indianapolis. And uh, so they've been big in, in diesel uh, engines. So now uh, they're moving into electrification, so electric transit, electric trucks, things like that. So uh, my team is supporting a digital solution to support that. Cool. And I want to talk a little bit about your path to get there because uh, I know your story quite well, um, but I, I really want, want the listeners to hear uh, sort of how you got to where you are today because uh, you were originally in the corporate world, right? I was. Working with Duracell and Rand McNally and Deflecto. Deflecto here in India, yep. What, uh, what went wrong? <laughs> <laughs> well, tell, well, tell we'll me. let HR talk about that. No. Um, well, you know what? The funny thing is I, I've, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I, I was also one of those corporate guys. When I Any company I was with, I loved the company. I loved uh, uh, being there. So it wasn't even so much that I didn't like the corporate environment, but I just, uh, 
I always said, uh, even early on, I said, I, I want the last company on my resume. I, I want to share the same last name as the owners, is, is, is how I put it. But I think that uh, it was more like the idea of if there was anything that was frustrating about the, the corporate world was there was all the possibilities of things that could be done that never got done. So I, I think the motivation was if you can get a good idea, let's you know, just try to make it happen. And so at some point I went, you know what, I just want to make it happen. And, uh, you know, and I, I was really motivated uh, to do something along the lines of education. And I saw a need from the corporate world that, uh, that there needed to be a better college recruitment uh, solution. And so that was my motivation for saying, hey, let's see if I can just kind of get in there and, uh, and try to find a better solution. And so talk to me about your transition into starting your own startup. Did you just walk in one day and say, I resign, I'm going to start working on this startup? Or did you kind of start piecing some of it together before you... Yeah, I, ha I had some idea of uh, that I was about ready to do that. And, and, uh, and, and circumstances just kind of made it uh, good timing when it happened. Uh, so it, it was just time to go, you know what, it's, it, you either make the jump or you don't because it, you, you, it's just too hard to say I'm going to walk away from a regular salary. So it was just like, this is the time. There was a transition going on. It's like, this is the time. If I'm ever going to try this, I got to do it now. Good for you for uh, taking the opportunity. Uh, can, you, yeah. can you tell me uh, what it was like in those first couple of months uh, working on the startup? Well, it was... The first couple of months was just like, what am I doing? <laughs> just, uh, you, you know, actually, the first couple of months was trying to determine exactly what kind of solution I, you know, was going to work, kind of validating some some things like that, and and uh, and in, that's literally what what the first two or three months were, and then uh, the next few months were so, well, how, how am I going to fund this thing? And uh, so it, it uh, and that was the hardest part because that was the one part that I had no experience in at all. You know, you could pull from, you know, connections and network on certain things, but uh, that uh, no one in my network uh, had funding. Yeah. Uh, less family that I could uh, come to with the tin cup. So how, how did you figure out the funding thing? If you didn't have, uh, you know, just a, a family friend, you could just say, hey, uh, could I have a million dollars to start a startup? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I had that family friend. I'd, I'd, I'd be telling be nice? you a different story right yeah, now. Me too. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I got the wrong friends. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> no, I, 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 it was, it was one of those things where um, I, I think the, 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 the money follows the idea. So it was really, uh, at least I had the path right, which was really hone the idea. And uh, and get some some passion behind it, and uh, and so I did, and uh, was fortunate enough to be able to uh, talk to someone who had some interest. In those days, it didn't take a lot of money, you know, because it was just it was a lot of discovery and research. Then mm -hmm. it, it was it was really the last years when you built a team. I said, okay, this is uh, we've got a pretty good run right now. We've got to find some serious money. So it was it was interesting, and so. I, I pulled on my corporate experience to say, like, I'm going to set this up as if I were still at Gillette or, you know, and, and uh, you got to, I, I wanted to present myself that way. I think maybe the one of the most important things as, as an entrepreneur you can do is you can establish credibility. Yeah. And, and you got to do that a number of ways. You know, when you don't have the business card that says 
Gillette or Duracell or something like that on it. You have to you have to do it from either establishing credibility because you you well you have to know what you're talking about. But but more than that, you have to. I, I think if if there's one thing I've learned from both sides of this, the corporate side and the entrepreneur side, is you've got to be able to create a, a vision. This vision of what are you doing and what's what's exciting about it but then the the second part that maybe you don't always think about is how do you make it exciting for the person you're talking to you you know how where do they fit in your vision because nobody's nobody's going to get excited about I, I just bask in the excitement of my vision right you you, you gotta they gotta let them see themselves in your vision and it's got to mean something uh, to them. So th that vision is going to vary depending on the stakeholder, whether it's a investor or a co-worker or whoever, but it's, it has to be done. Any tips for people who are trying to kind of uh, communicate that vision to, to someone or, or tailor a, a vision and, and show how that person is, is in that vision? I mean, is it all um, energy and the tone in which you deliver it? Or are there some other, lot, other nuance? There, there's a lot to that because anyone can have an idea. And, uh, you know, if, if the investor's going to bet on the person, then they need to see that. You know, they need to see that, that passion uh, and, and, uh, and positive uh, at, you know, attitude, I think. So I think that's important. And, and it's just got to be... It's got to be real, you know. I mean, you, you, if if this if you're doing something that you got to rehearse in front of a mirror, you're doing the wrong thing because it, it shouldn't take rehearsal. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. I, I I have to say I think that's probably what was seen more than anything. Even in the early days, even before the idea was was honed, it was this guy seems really really intent on doing this and and uh, is is willing to, to to back it up with some commitment. So. I think that I think that's a lot of it because I again I think everything follows the the, the passion uh, because it's going to make you hone the idea. It's going to make you if necessity is the mother of invention. Then it's going to make you figure out all of the things that you have to do. Yeah, I, I love that, Chris. I remember uh, I remember when you're getting this going in the early days. You were you were bringing the passion. You clearly had a vision. Um, one of the things I know that you were able to do with your startup is work with some really big brands um, and forge some great partnerships there. Can you talk about some of the brands you worked with and uh, even more importantly, how you forge those relationships with them? Yeah. So I, I think, uh, again, you know, trying to establish credibility was uh, I took the approach of, well, nobody knows me. Nobody knows this startup. So I've got to start connecting with things and people people know and get that credibility so it, it turned out that um, uh, my, my good friend, uh, Kiko Suarez, who was uh, at Illumina at the time, they, they had a, a, a contest going uh, about how you use um, big data to help the individual. And so that fit, you know, the purpose without going into the weeds, that fit the purpose of what, uh, what I was doing. And... Uh, uh, you know, I, it was really a last minute thing. And, and out of, I don't know, hundreds of submission, we got chosen as finalists. So we got to go to New York and, and, and talk at the, the Economist uh, thing. And uh, that really opened a lot, of, a lot of doors. That's great. I mean, that's really good advice to startups, but also corporate 
uh, people in corporate innovation to take those opportunities when they come across your path. You probably have to be really cognizant too, though, of uh, not going after and chasing everything. So what was it about this particular opportunity that made you say, I, I got to put my, throw my hat in the ring on this one? Well, um, it, it fit perfectly with, with the idea. So it made sense. It, it seemed like a long shot at the time. But I guess the only thing I, I'd say is um, you, in, at, at that, you don't have the luxury of picking and choosing what you think is a really good opportunity. And, and I don't even know if you really know that because some of the things that I thought might not go anywhere were just exactly the things that worked out. So <laughs> it's one of those things where you, you got to just make the time. Um, it, it took a lot of time, you know, because you did. It's hard to. to it was just too hard to go. I don't know what's important. Uh, I, I. So I. I guess I got to do. More. I mean, you have to use common sense. Obviously, sure. you can't just chase every every rabbit down the hole. But uh, you planted yeah. a lot of seeds, though. You you weren't just saying, I'm putting all my chips on this uh, this thing with the Economist. It was probably one of many things that you did. It was, and 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 that grew from a, a couple different seeds that had nothing to do with that. Yeah, and and so I think that was the other thing. It was, uh, you know, I was always happy to to meet anybody who was willing to 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 spend fifteen minutes, thirty minutes to to talk uh, to me because you just never know, you know. And it wasn't just, hey, let me go find somebody who's who's big in this community. It was like anyone who was. Who had thirty minutes to, to talk to me? I was glad to talk to him, and and some of those were the things that uh, that led to, to something, because you you don't, you don't know, and and I don't think any of those big things, none of them happened right away. I think the, they all were six months to twelve months out from when when they started. So well, I know you presented on the Economist stage. You certainly presented on the Powder Cake stage a couple of times. Uh, like some better than others. <laughs> hey, you, you got to get more at-bats, right? That's right. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about um, the importance of events. It sounds like events have been pretty important to you and getting face-to-face with people. Yeah, I, I, I think from for, for two reasons. One, the credibility piece. But two, every, every time you, you go to an event and someone says, Tell me what you do, you, you learn to talk about it a little bit better and a little bit crisper and uh that's that's really important and it's really just as important in the corporate world uh, as i'm back again i'm finding that out but that uh just being able to distill that down to to the most important parts and and the more places you speak because there's not one answer you know uh, to to the right message The, the right message depending on the stakeholder is a, is a little bit different. So you, you, you start to instinctively know and understand that. But it takes practice. It takes practice. And it, and it, and it just takes, it, it takes more than the practice. It, t- it takes the being able to, to see the reaction mm-hmm. of enough different types of people and organizations to, to get that. Yeah, that's a really great advice. Yeah. Um, on that startup journey, uh, how long were you working on this particular startup? All, all in. I think there was about uh, seven years in. Oh my gosh! So yeah, keeping it going, keeping it funded, keeping it uh, alive and, and growing. And, and and I tell you that the journey is such a is such an important piece of this. And in fact, even though obviously we're not talking about my multi million dollar sell off of this company, so it, it didn't didn't end the way I, I wanted it to. But 
the journey was 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 priceless because I was just talking to someone about the idea of of what it means to kind of go through something, particularly when it's a difficult thing, mm-hmm. because and what it does to you. Because if you look at like kids are fearless, they have no fear because they they haven't learned to have fear of anything. And, and the older we get, the more fear we tend to have of things, and and the more caution we put in front of everything. So. When you go through something really tough um, and you get through it, on, on the other side, you're, you're stronger for it. And the, I think the other thing that happens is you, that, that strength gives you a little less fear. Mm-hmm. So, so you, you're, I, I'm able to look at things now maybe differently than I did six or seven years ago. I can look at it without the fear, knowing that, well, I got through this. And it worked out, so I can I can now approach these things with you know because we 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 stop ourselves from half the opportunities I, I think so taking that down a notch is is helpful so I think the process is is everything. That's really a great perspective. Um, how did you get through some of those tougher moments? Certainly, I've been through uh, many myself, but everyone has their own sort of uh, techniques and methods for getting through those valleys. Yeah, and sometimes it's hour by hour, I think. But um, I think, you know, while I was going through that period, there was also um, my, my parents had some health issues. Um, and, but that actually was helpful. And, 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 and they're still with us, so that's a good thing that the story won't end that way. But going through that with them actually... Having to be strong and go through something else actually kind of takes your mind off what you're going through. So that, in a strange way, maybe it was helpful because uh, rather than thinking about, oh, you know, uh, woe is me, I wish I was in a better place, it, it was like all my attention was to that. So when I was focused on um, the, the, the business, it was literally, okay, I've got nothing, this is the only thing I have time to think about. And worry about so I, I in a strange way I think it that part helped yeah but uh, some certainly, days are just hour by hour certainly puts things in into perspective you know yeah. when you're involved in a startup and you're the CEO uh, life and death of your business can sometimes feel like life and death period it, it, it can and it, you know it and it changes your perspective you know it it, it just kind of makes you think what's really important you know when you're going through something like that it's hard to get upset with the Verizon customer service person. It's like some, all of a sudden that doesn't seem nearly as important anymore. Right. How you were on hold for 40 minutes. Sure. Sure. Um, was there anything that you did, uh, tactically to kind of, uh, pull yourself back into the flow states when, uh, when you were really kind of riding those waves with your startup? Yeah. Get, just get busy again. That for me, that's what it was: is, is find something else to do, which which usually was exactly what was called for. So just diving into what now, what now, what now, and uh, a lot of you know. So what you try to do is create a lot of different scenarios. So again, you're planting a whole lot of seeds, and you don't know which which ones are going to grow. So you you start going to each of these. And again, you talk about the, the stakeholders and, and bringing someone in the vision. It makes you start you start going. Okay, let me think more about what's 
what I can offer for this organization or this person. Let me think more about it and, and, and put yourselves in, in their shoes. And I think there's, there's an appreciation when you, when you speak to them and, and say, hey, here's, here's how I think this can work. You're, you're not just saying, hey, here's, here's this great idea. You're saying, here's how I think this might be able to be applied to you and your organization. Even if you don't always get it right, they they appreciate that you you tried yeah. you know that you were thinking about that and you and and hopefully you've got an, a, enough of something there to go well it's not quite that but you've given me something to think about here did you find that uh, to be the case with a lot of the companies you were working with with your startup uh, as you as you presented things and um, did that kind of help you forge some of those bigger brand relationships that you had it did and then I think that's where my corporate experience really paid off you know being in sales and marketing you know the whole thing is is putting something together and saying what's what's in it for for the customer or this big account or things like that so that i really kind of pulled on that that's such an important thing to to perspective to have i, I think too often it's just i've got the, the best message ever and i can tell you the best things that happened out of any meeting i was in came from the discussion in between the bullets on uh, on the slides or or the walk to the conference room or, mm. or the walk to, to the door. The biggest times happen in that banter, that conversation. Oh, that's, that's really uh, a cool thing to point out because I think sometimes the tendency can kind of be like, oh, well, I'm not on right now, you know, or, or, or my slides aren't up, I'm not on my talk track. Sort of yeah, because real things happen with real talk, yeah. right? It's like, okay, I, I always kind of looked at the presentation was more as the leave behind. You know, you're not going to remember most of what I said, so, you know, here's here's a reference. It's 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 when you can just start talking to people. And then and, and you go back to you were talking about passion. That's where the passion It's like, I'm just talking to you. I don't, I don't need this. I don't want this. I, I want to I hear what you think of, of this. I want to hear what you think of how this could be helpful to, to you. And, and that's, that's where it always happens. Well, I'm, I'm sure that really resonates with big corporates and big brands. I think so. I, I, I think so. It, it, they're all, a big brand is just a bigger little brand, right? It, it's, it's just, it's humans in that role. And they're humans in, in, in any size uh, organization. So that's, it's, to me, it didn't seem that didn't seem different. Is there anything you mentioned about uh, your background and working in big companies being helpful as you landed big companies as customers as a startup? Are there any sort of things that uh, you think more startup CEOs should be aware of, or even people in big corporations of how decisions actually get made and how to make a sale, whether that's internal or from the outside? Yeah, I, I think I think just taking the approach of you know how well you can you can put yourself in the place of that person on the other side of the table is is just key and uh you don't want to take that uh, i'm from bigco and do what we say and nobody gets hurt kind of approach you know it it, it you, you know you kind of feel like uh, i just think humans react to other humans at the end of the day yeah was there anything in particular you did to kind of prepare for meetings that was particularly helpful um, in in setting setting the table to have those insights, so I think I, I always over prepared and uh, 
if, if, if Mike Kelly were here, he would say, Chris, you over-prepare for everything. <laughs> and we've had Mike Kelly on a couple of the episodes of, of this podcast. And he, uh, it, and, and good natured, of course, there's really no over-preparation. It's, you know, I always kind of went into it going, I don't know what they're going to ask. So I got to be prepared to ask a lot of things. And, and, and the, the preparation helps you in a number of ways because if you've got to, you got to keep going to notes and go, well, well, wait a minute, let me think about what it is I got to tell you. That's no good. Um, it, it's kind of like I, the analogy is kind of like to, to performing. So, you know, I, you know, I pulled, I pulled in everything I ever did. So I sang and performed. And so I think I pulled from that and went, the more you, you know, the, the more you prepare, the more natural it looks because you don't have to think of so hard about, I just got to remember words. I just got to remember how to play these notes. I got to remember the more you're prepared, the more it just comes naturally. It's a better performance. Um, if it, if it, if the performance looks difficult, you, you screwed it up. <laughs> it should look easy. Yeah. And I think that's the same kind of thing going into a meeting. If you, if you quote unquote over prepare, then you're going to be a lot in a lot better position to have those conversations where the, the good stuff may come from. I love that insight. I, I think that's very true. And I think a lot of times I could do a better job of preparing for meetings. And I, I tend to have a pretty packed schedule when I uh, get into meetings. Mm-hmm. And certainly I do some preparation, but uh, I like the idea of being a little more over-prepared. And I try not to ever, it, it, when it's possible, do back-to-back-to-back-to-back meetings. Um, one, because you just, you just can't put yourself in the mindset where you need to be at every meeting. Um, but two, I think that one of the things I always try to do, especially when it's fresh, is go, let me just think about what happened. Mm. And I, I think there's, I, I, I think that's a really important part in, in going, what, what just happened here? What, even when the, the meeting is great, I, I, everybody, you know, is reflective on, you know, what went wrong. But how, how many are reflective on what went right? And, uh, you know, what happened? And, and I don't mean, you know, yeah, they really bought, a, B, and C, I, I mean, what what resonated? Mm-hmm. What part of what we're doing really resonated? Because that's what, um, and you've got to get that. They know Everyone doesn't always say, hey, that really resonated with me. You know, <laughs> most of them are the, the, the unspoken cues that yeah. uh, you have to be able to pick up. And you can't do that when you're not prepared and you're constantly looking down or looking at your, your slides or whatever. So... That's really good feedback. Did you ever have any sort of like a ritual around that? Watching the game tape? Yeah, I, I, I always try to immediately take notes. Um, and uh, yeah, in some cases when, when meetings were recorded, go back and listen to them. Because that's the only time you're, you're ever going to listen to them again. You're not going to go, hey, I, I'm going to go listen to that meeting from 2016. That, that was Great, you know, <laughs> so the time to do it is to, to and, and usually it was just a matter of let me make sure I interpreted something the way I think it was in, in, it needed to be interpreted. And, and so you don't always get that, which is why it's so important to just right after the beginning go, let me either look at my notes, let me write down some things that I remember because, you know, they can, they can, you can remember it a little differently when enough time passes. So. This is really great advice, Chris. I really appreciate you sharing it. Oh, glad to do. I still do all of that. Um, and what's funny is now that I'm back at, in the corporate world, I, I feel like now I'm running. If I, if I said, well, I tried as an entrepreneur, I tried to 
run it like I was in the corporate world. Now that I'm back there, I'm trying to run it like like I was in the, an entrepreneur again because it's really still all about creating a vision um, in a company the size of Cummins. There's, there's so many cross-functional uh, people working in various projects. So you still have to do the same thing. What's in it for them? What's in it for these people from this department whose performance review is not... Uh, based on how this project uh, succeeds, so you you have to you have still have to give them ownership. You have to let them see what what you're doing. The one thing that maybe I almost forgot about this getting back to the corporate world is 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 other departments are, they're never going to be in the weeds and knowing what you're doing. So it, painting the vision is that much more important, mm-hmm. so they can understand clearly and succinctly what it is. Oh, that's what you guys are doing. All right, now it makes sense, and and it's, uh, it's just as important uh, in in back in the corporate world. So I, I think it's the same thing. And this is how you fit in that vision. Yeah, exactly. And what's in it for them? Yeah, that's that's really good advice. Because what you find is is they just aren't always, again, not not so motivated. But but when they when they when they understand the vision and you come to them with credibility and and in in the corporate world maybe credibility means um i trust you as somebody who understands enough of what i'm doing so if i'm involved in this project you're going to you're going to include what we have to do in a way that's that that i, I can trust it's it, you're you're going to do the right thing for our group too so, so you've got that. So it's still understanding the vision. When they understand the vision, they can usually understand that piece a little better. And, and the trust just comes from, you know, I, I told you I was going to look after you all in this group, and I did, right? So you have to, you just have to have that too. But it's every bit as important, maybe more important in some ways, because you don't, you don't, you don't get to pick and choose. You don't just go and find the people you want to connect with. You, you, you're dealing with the people you have to deal with, so you've got to find a way to make that work. In dealing uh, with startups as a, as a corporation, what is your number one piece of advice to people at larger enterprises or big co's, as they're sometimes called, uh, when they're looking at potentially licensing something from a startup or uh, purchasing something from a startup or acquiring a startup. Yeah. So I, I think the first thing the larger companies have to do is, is to remember to kind of, you know, look, remember to look outward um, and, and not inward because big companies naturally believe that, well, we can solve this problem. So, you know, it's first thing is look outward more to find what solutions are out there. So to your question, now, now they, some opportunities have presented themselves. Now what? I, I think um, in a big company, it has to you. You have to maybe adjust how you're looking for at a startup. So you're not you're not going to get out of this partnership or acquisition the same thing as if you're working with another large company. Mm-hmm. So it, it 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 really becomes not well. Gee, we're we're giving them more than we're getting because we're big and they're small. It's what is it we need, and can they provide that? So I, I think a lot of companies have to look at more than now more than ever. So here's the ecosystem of what we're doing. And there's a lot of players in this ecosystem. So instead of going, we're going to own this, we're going to be part of this ecosystem. And we're going to, we, we, where do we fit in this? And, and let's just be real good at this part. 
And now if we can understand that, then we, it's easy to know, well, this player is doing this, this player is doing that, and they're smaller. And I think it's understanding where, first making sure they understand where they want to fit mm -hmm. in this ecosystem. Once you've not gotten to the point where we can't be everything, we need to look at partners defining that because I, I think too often that's not always clear. And if that's not clear, then you're really not going to know how to approach a smaller company. And, and you're not helping them because they don't have resources to waste. And I mean, time resources, which are just so valuable. And, and uh, I know as an entrepreneur, I, I would say this to anyone at a big company, just, you know, be mindful that, you know, you just walking up to a small company is going to make them go, hey, stop the presses. We're going to do everything we can to to work with this company and, and just don't make them run down a path that's leading nowhere because that could kill a, a startup. Yeah. Yeah. How what would your advice be to a startup founder when tracking down or uh, fleshing out a potential opportunity with the big co to avoid running after nothing? I, I think, you know, going back to being prepared, understand what's in it for them. You might be surprised uh, how you, you may assume that a big company knows exactly what they want out of this partnership. You might be surprised that that's not always the case. So try to paint that picture to the extent you can and go, here's how here's the value we can present to you. And here's what we can do for you. You you you. Take a lot of time on that because you, you don't assume they, they got that solid answer. That's great. Uh, when, you're, when you are having those conversations with uh, startups and big corporations, what do each party need to kind of keep in mind as they're evolving this relationship? And uh, uh, you mentioned time, right? There's definitely a pace difference uh, yeah. that can create friction between startups and corporations. How do you recommend each side sort of navigate that? As a startup, just assume if you, you start making a connection with a big company, just assume it's it's a year out at least, right? You know, you're just, again, planting those seeds. I mean, I mean unless you're filling, fulfilling a very, very specific role with a need right then and there, just assume it's going to be a long process because there's a lot of stakeholders that have to buy into it. And it takes a lot of time to get there. And like you said, their, their pace, what, what, what a big company thinks is a fast pace is definitely not going to be your definition. Yeah. And once that relationship um, is in place, let's say a startup lands a pilot program with a, a big corporation. What's your recommendation to that startup founder to uh, keep that relationship, grow that relationship? Uh, and then, spoiler alert, my follow-up advice is going to be, what's, what's the advice to the big corporation? <laughs> I think that uh, once you've, you've, you've landed that opportunity, get to the extent you can, get to know and talk to as many people in that company as possible. You're going to get perspective that way. You're going to learn a lot. Um, and, you, you, and because one of the things you're going to learn is, is even though you might be talking to the people that are going to write the check, they, they're usually not the only stakeholders involved in whatever solution you're bringing. So when you can go dig those people out uh, and find them and talk to them, that's, that's going to help you a lot. Yeah, that's great. And then for the big companies uh, working with the startup, how do you define success? How do you make a pilot go really well when you're working with a startup? Well, I, I think um, 
I think in general, corporations are, are just starting to learn and understand the, the fail fast piece, which yeah. is, you know, pilots are pilots. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a major merger. You know, they don't have to, they may not all work out and that's okay. And that's why they're pilots. Uh, I, I think sometimes in the corporate world, and uh, I'm not talking about any particular company, and uh, <laughs> but any big company, I, I think they have to have that mindset of, well, if you're going to have a fail-fast attitude, then make sure that everybody involved in that project knows it's okay to fail. Nobody wants to, but in the, in the corporate world, it, it, that's not always looked at as a a great thing. How do you change that culturally from within? Um, I guess you have to just uh, you got to just make it clear up front what what could happen, um, but but be able to just I know up front what the value of the pilot is of, of itself, as opposed to this is the outcome we're looking for. Um, but uh, just understand that. Uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna try a lot of things till we find the right one. That's why we're doing these things. And, and the value of the pilot is the learning, not necessarily the out the metrics. That's right. Which is the same for the for the smaller startup too, right? So yeah. the big company just needs to understand that too. Yeah. What you you mentioned fail fast and and celebrating uh, learnings. Uh, definitely very familiar vernacular for those who follow lean startup. Uh, what are some of the other things that you think the most innovative big corporations do really well in order to disrupt their, you know, continue to disrupt themselves and create new innovative products? I, I think understanding their own strengths and, and weaknesses, because the better they understand that, the better they're going to be able to pick partners, smaller uh, companies to partner with. Um, so again, I think back to the same as, as everyone. And, and I think it's just, creating that culture and and be, being willing to do it. I mean, one of the things that's great about the digital accelerator is a, is a big company like Cummins going, you know, this is our way of, of adapting to, uh, you know, a, a new business environment. Um, so I give them a lot of credit, you know, they're, they're still learning like any company is, is learning. But uh, the first step is Let's do this, right? So it's it's great. Tell me a little bit more about the digital accelerator. What what, what are you doing? Or as much as you can tell me. I'm yeah. not sure how much is yeah. top secret. I, yeah, I just yeah. You, you want me to stay in this company, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it the, the digital accelerator specifically is set up to create digital solutions to support the the existing manufactured products, and so they they've created a culture of of being able to, you know create a lot of uh, projects that don't involve the long process it takes to to build an engine and, and allow that kind of flexibility. But still, you've got the advantage of the, these multi-billion dollar resources. So when it's done perfectly, you've got the best of all worlds. I love that. I, I know one of the things that Cummins is really passionate about is something that uh, we're really passionate about a powder keg, and there's a growing movement for throughout the tech community at large, uh, and that is being more inclusive of diverse perspectives, um, really focusing on having diversity in the teams um, and, and in the inputs that are being put into these projects. Um, can you talk a little bit about your own experience uh, diving into the tech world and now some of the things you're doing at Cummins? 
So I, I think, and I'm, I'm not a spokesperson for Cummins, I'm just sure. telling you my perspective, but I, I've been very impressed with their commitment to diversity. Uh, it's real and, and you can feel it. And I, there, there's something about um, when you're really in a diverse environment, it, it, there's something that feels a little bit different. I, and I haven't put my finger on it yet, other than obviously when you're in a diverse environment, there, there's not one one person or group of people who are just overriding going, this is the way it's done, mm-hmm. right? You, you really can get a diversity of ideas because, the, because everyone has different perspectives on it. So I think that really helps. And, and it also, it just cuts down on the unconscious bias because if there are just a lot of different people around you, you're, uh, if the unconscious bias of going, well, I just assume these people around me are doing a good job, so I'm going to find more people just like them. Well, when, you, when it's a diverse group, you're just going to find more diverse people. And that sounds very obvious, but it's not happening in too many instances. So I, I, really, I really like the idea of that. And, and it makes you vet your own ideas a little more when you know that you've got to sell it to uh, more people who aren't necessarily going to just be instinctively ha- having that train of thought. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it makes you, it makes you better. It makes everyone better. Absolutely. Well, and we, uh, the powder cake team actually was lucky enough to get some training from one of your leaders there at Cummins on diversity and inclusion. And it has really helped our team really think through that a lot more, uh, clearly. And it's resulted in serious action being taken. Not that it wasn't something we were thinking about, weren't thinking about previously. It's just, we didn't have training in it. And, and now with that training, our whole team is fired up, fired up about figuring out how every part of what we can do can be more inclusive because it can always be more inclusive. Uh, and you can always bring in and invite more diversity into any conversation. That's right. And, and that goes for, you know, just, just because I'm a minority doesn't mean that, uh, well, I don't have to be inclusive because I'm a minority, right? You know, (laughs) we, we all get caught up in the, you know, just having things around us that we're used to, right? So it takes everybody thinking about maybe, is there another way I can think about this? And, and, and also I think the important thing is, is to not think about diversity as this thing that I'm forced to do. Right. You know, you have to be able to see the real value in it. And you're not doing someone a favor by hiring them as, as a diverse hire. You know, like, I'm doing you this favor. Uh, you know, you're, I remember years ago when I was first starting out, and uh, I won't say which company, although it's not really a reflection on the company, uh, but uh, someone at just a casual meeting, and, and she wasn't trying to be... You, you know, cause any rift. She just, she just said, oh, I guess, uh, I guess you're, you're here because of affirmative action. And, uh, you know, not even realizing oh, wow. what she said. Wow. I said, well, I got here because of a recruiter, probably same as you. And, uh, but in a lot of ways, that's a mindset. There's a mindset where some people look at a minority and go, well, I guess you're here because of affirmative action. Not really. Well, why wouldn't I be here for the same reason you're here? Right. So I, I, think that it's it's just really important to to not see diversity as just something you have to do. It's not a box to check. It's not a quota to fill. That's right. This is something that truly is. I mean, and you look at the data and it doesn't lie. More diverse teams come up with better innovative products. 
uh, especially if you're being inclusive and getting the most out of that diversity. That's right. You're assuming you, you, you want every part of the population to use your product. You probably need the perspective from the people who will be using it. So, yeah, it just makes sense. Well, I, I really appreciate um, all of your efforts, uh, not only with diversity, but in just sharing your story uh, of your startup journey, uh, you know, from big corporate into the startup world and back out of the startup world into big corporate. But it sounds like you really still have that startup DNA in everything that you're doing now uh, and all things innovative at Cummins, which is really exciting. It is. You know, whatever you're doing, you still got to have a passion for it or, or why bother? Uh, you know, at this point, you're just like, if you can't be excited about what you're doing, why bother doing it at all? And in some ways, that's that sounds like a first world problem. And I guess suppose it is because everyone doesn't have the luxury of going, well, I'm going to pick from these choices. But um, I, I think the, the only thing I would add to the diversity piece is, you know, diversity isn't isn't uh, um, uh, an event right? It's, it, it goes on. It's, it's just part of how, how you do business. Uh, you know, you don't do a diversity event and go, well, diversity, that was, we're all done with that now, right? So, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I would say that. But yeah, in, in, in my experiences, yeah, I, I think as a, as a minority, I, I, I think a lot of, uh, you, you almost go into a situation going, what's going to go wrong with this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you just, Kind of, you, there's there's just no sense of you know everything's just gonna fall into place. So maybe that's helpful. I, I'd say in a lot of ways, though, um, for minorities, early on in my, you know, growing up, I never would have seen myself in a in the tech world. It just wasn't somewhere I saw anybody I knew as part of. That's why I think in in diversity projects, one of the good things this company is doing, and what I see a lot of others do is is to actually go to and talk to younger people, students, and let them see what this world looks like. Let them get excited about it. There's still a lot of, of, of young people who don't have access to, to Wi-Fi and the devices that we take for granted to, and, and see and get excited about and go, I want to do that one day. Um, and even those who have that, the idea that you can bring them into your world. So we've got to expand that world for them and let them come in and see a startup going on or a big corporation. And, and walk into, walking into that building is so important because for that person, walking in there is going to make them go, wow, just the fact that I'm physically in this building, now I have this little glimmer of, of a shot that, that, that thinks this, this could be somewhere I could be. And I and I now know what it looks like, right? You can't get anywhere that where, where, if you can't see it. So I think that really helps. I'm really happy to hear that you're doing that, Chris. And I agree. We more companies could be intentional about that. And uh, when I see it happening, it's it's really exciting because you see kids kind of walk. At the, we're recording this in Developer Town in Indianapolis. You know, you see groups of kids coming through of all shapes and sizes and ages and. Yeah. Uh, backgrounds and their eyes just light up when they're walking around here. And if, if you don't know where developer town is, just look up photos. It's an amazing innovation space and innovation hub um, with people doing amazing work. Uh, and it's, it's so rewarding to see that happen. It's great. And you, cause you just don't know what, what some young student is walking away 
from getting from something a, a throwaway line, yeah. something you said, and and that's gonna that's gonna change somebody's life. That's gonna give them a direction they didn't have before. Do you have any advice for um, minorities breaking into tech uh, or looking to navigate uh, the tech world? Um, or even the innovation world, uh, or even marginalized groups doesn't necessarily have to. I guess my advice would, would be the, the same advice I'd give to anyone. Find, find a mentor, find somebody in tech who's willing to take the time to talk to you. And te- There's a lot you need to know. I, I lived that world. I, I, the, the first two years of, of my startup journey was just figuring it out. And, and I, I, wasn't raised on Tobacco Road. I came from a decent middle class family. I had uh, I had decent uh, I had resources. I had I I did just fine, and and so it wasn't a matter of being uh, and uh, having an underserved childhood. It was just you you don't know what you don't know. That you 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 know when you have to expand the world of, of these people. Well, that wasn't my world. I my my dad was in sales and marketing at AT&T and guess what I ended up in sales and marketing because that's the world I knew. Yeah. Um so we just have to be able to expand that world and and um and give them that connection somebody in in this world that they can talk to and get some advice from because that's it, it's it's really is critical. Every tech community ha- has those people that uh i mean sitting here in developer town i i you know and and uh mike kelly in particular i'm happy to give him a, a personal shout out as somebody who took the time to say hey chris uh have you met this person have you met that person uh you did that uh several times uh early on so you you just have to find those people and the the, the only thing i'd say to everyone else is you take a little time to do that you know, yeah. we're all busy. I, I get that, but just take a little time to do that. Um, it, it, it's it's in the scheme of things, it's not a lot of time for us, but it's it's going to mean something really big for someone else. That's really great perspective, Chris. Thank you for sharing some of your story. I hope you can uh, come back on the podcast sometime soon, give an update on everything going on in the digital accelerator that you can share, and uh, congrats again on uh, everything that you're doing. Thanks, Matt. And congrats to you. Thank you. We're really excited about it and uh, big things coming for both Powder Keg and Cummins. I can't wait to see them both. Thanks so much for stopping by, Chris. And thanks to all of our listeners. I hope Chris's thoughts on corporate innovation are something you can use to be a better leader, whether that's at a startup or a multinational brand. For more insights from Chris Gray and Cummins, follow at Cummins on Twitter. Once again, I'm your host, Matt Hunkler, and to be among the first to hear the stories about entrepreneurs, investors, and other tech leaders outside of Silicon Valley, subscribe to us on iTunes at powderkeg.com forward slash iTunes. We'll catch you next time on Powder Keg Igniting Startups.